Welcome back to Coaching Kernan, episode 13, Real Voices of the Game. We're joined today by Mike Brown, veteran umpire of 20 years, the high school level, the college level, and most recently, Cooperstown Dreams Park. Uh, we're excited to have Mike here on our show today. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host, America's Most Beloved Sports Writer, Kevin Kernan. Kevin, good morning. Uh, and I know you've done an article on Mike previously. Uh, I'd love for you to introduce him uh, just a little bit more than I have, uh, give the, the audience a little background on Mike. Yeah, basically, we wanted to have Mike on because um, we cover all aspects of the game, and umpiring is really hot right now. If, if you see what's going on at the major league level, minor league level, uh, people losing their cool. Um, so we want to have a, an umpire talking about the nuts and bolts of umpiring. And Mike is a little unique because he's also been a uh, you know he's in he was in a newspaper game for many years. He was uh, up in Cooperstown, so he he was around Cooperstown when you really had great access to the players, and he can tell us some stories about that. So it's more than just umpiring; it's a, his baseball life as well, and and he's hung with it. I mean, he's he's uh, he's not as old as me, but you know he, he's uh, he, he's not he's not twenty five anymore, and the rigors of umpiring as well. So basically, uh, that's it. Um, and and he's from he's basically from the Northeast lives in Ohio now, but he has to deal with the situation in Ohio. And we'll get to that in a, situ- in a second about, uh, you know, how tough it is for high school umpires and what they're paid. But that's basically Mike's story. We're going to do some nuts and bolts and welcome to the show, Mike. And just tell us, uh, I know you were just in Cooperstown. Just give, uh, give our listeners a little overview of what that experience is like, because it's not just about the games, but it's the bonding of the umpires. And of course, He's, he's written a wonderful little book called The Umpire's Bunkhouse. So uh, give us a little update, Mike. Hey, good, good to be on the show with you guys today. Um, the basics of umpiring are, are really ancient. They go back, you know, over 100 years. And each day when we umpire, we try to make ourselves better. And you can learn something new every single time you go out. And we, if you take that attitude into the game, you'll, be, you'll become a better and better umpire. And all the all the talk right now of, of, re, of umpires being replaced or, or augmented by electronics is is just crazy, I think, and it's it's ruining the game, and it's it's really unfortunate. Well, that's a great point. I, I want to jump in, and that's what I'll do. You'll see me jumping in here and there, and Dave. But the umpire, when I grew up, even in little league, high school, college, I would always have conversations with umpires. I respected the umpires. I'm seeing, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it is the box, you know, that you see on TV where everybody thinks those are, you know, infallible. But but what is the reaction now? I mean, umpires always had to, if you, if you look back in the major leagues, it was really scary back in the 20s and things like that with umpiring. But through the years, umpires had a certain amount of respect. What do you do now to, to keep that, uh, you know, to people, so people understand that you're the umpire, you're the guy in charge without being so, I'm throwing you out, I'm throwing you out, I'm throwing you out. How do you handle that situation? Yeah, the last few years particularly has become very, very difficult with fans, players, and coaches. Now, there are, there are some very good fans, coaches, and players, but there are a whole lot of others who feel entitled to say and do anything they want, and it, that makes it very, very difficult. Now, up in Cooperstown, it's a very elite tournament. I umpired a game between Hawaii and Las Vegas and California and Florida, and these are our elite players. 
And they hit a lot of home runs, and they're very, very you know, goal-oriented. But the fans can be very difficult. And they say things that I have to use my public relations skills in my career. I retired from the Board of Regents here in Ohio. And it's really funny. They laugh, but it works. I, I say I'm, I'm deaf in my left ear, or, or, or I can't see out of my right eye. And I say it with a straight face, and they believe me. The best answer I could say, guys, is is if a bunch of fans found out I was from Ohio and they assumed that I was going to do O-H-I-O with them, a cheer, and I was going to be cheering for the Buckeyes, right? But I, I, with a straight face, I said, today, I'm a Cooperstown umpire. Very and, nice. And they, they got the drift. Yeah, and that's the way it should be. I mean, that's that's a great way to handle it. And I think uh, more umpires can do that. What about learning? Uh, I'm, I'm going to turn it over to Dave for a second. But what about what was it like learning your strike zone and 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 letting people understand? Because that was another that's another thing that's changed in the game. I've talked to major league players about this many times. Coaches, managers, you know, you knew each umpire had his own strike zone, and maybe it might have varied a little bit. But but you knew that that was the strike zone that day, and you worked with it. Uh, hopefully people understand your strike zone. How did you, how did you build your strike zone and where, where is that at right now? Yes. What I use each, each player, you know, you have Aaron judge, who's a monster. You, you judge players by where their elbow is, where their elbow extended when they, when they come up to bat. And I, I, my strike zone is a lot different than that little box you see on TV. And that's what people are influenced by. That little box is crazy. So, my strike zone is, is below, just below the letters down to the knee. And, and it's the same in, and if I do a tournament in Cooperstown or it's a, it's a men's league game in the summertime or it's a high school thing. And, and I, I pride myself on being very consistent. That's the best way to do it, I think, because every batter, like you said, judges six seven, and I'm sure these little leaguers you're doing are, you know, pushing, you know, between four foot six and five foot six. Oh, no. Oh, time out. Each I know where you're going. These, these players are so good. And the, the Las Vegas team had five players who were six feet and taller, six foot oh, three. Wow. Yes, they're giants. They're tw- and they're 13 years old. Yeah, I, I'd be a medium-sized 12-year-old nowadays. Thank God I played professionally when I did. Yes. Five, five ten was in vogue back then. Yes, so- yes, yes. Now, Mike, you, you and I talked uh, off the air a little bit. I want you to share with your audience. You talked about constantly getting better. You've learned a lot of things over the years um, in your trips to Cooperstown. Talk about some influences you've had. Um, I guess specifically a guy by the name of Bill Guilfoyle you mentioned as a major influence in your umpiring. Talk about some of the things you learned from him and in the bunkhouse. Well, Bill Guilfoyle was a wonderful man. He was a, he was the public relations director for the Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame, and he was tremendous. And he, he, he's the one who convinced me to get out of newspapers. He said they're not going to make it much longer, and he was right, and to go into public relations. And, and little things I learned from him, um, you know, one day he called me up at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, and that's really early when you work till 2 o'clock in the morning. And he said, how soon can you get to Cooperstown? I said, well, I'll throw some clothes on. I'll be there soon. And I got up there, and he was out of the country club, and he said, I have two gentlemen here who need a caddy and they, they don't want to talk about baseball. They want to talk about 
life and they want to talk about women and, and hunting and fishing because and Bill Gil knew I was a hunter. And, and it turns out it was Joe DiMaggio and Brooks Robinson. <laughs> That's and I spent not bad. all day with them talking and, and it was such a great, great time. And, and Bill had a smile on his face a mile wide because he knew it was going to be a great encounter. So that's, that's one example of learning something new every single day. What about Bob Wilbur now, another name you mentioned to me? Yeah, um, it's, it's funny. You know, we mentioned earlier, we had umpires who were always friends, always friends of ours. We, we knew them. We respected them. And that has changed dramatically. That's why I wrote, wrote the book. I wrote Umpire's Bunkhouse because it profiles and, and, and enables the umpires to tell their story. And each umpire is different. But people out there now, they don't know the umpires. They, you know, when, when Wilbur showed up or, or somebody like that, you knew exactly what was going on. And now they, you, you see the umpires walk on the field, whether it's two, three, or four, and Oh, they're the umpires, but you don't know them by name. You don't know their story. And everybody's got a story to tell. And I tried to tell it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, re I read the book and it was a great read. I, you know, here we are in the middle of summer. I recommend everyone, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great beach book. Anybody who loves baseball gives you a different perspective. And, and uh, I got to ask you, who, how did Joe D, uh, how was his golf game? It was pretty good. Uh, but Brooks Robinson was great. He was very good. Uh, but but Joe D, you know, c c in contrast to the the rumors or the innuendo of New York media or whatever you want to call it, right. he was gracious and wonderful and and very polite and very interested in the hunting and the fishing and it was fantastic. You know, it's interesting too because you you uh, I think people get a sense from just listening to you talk that you listen to people as well, and that's part of uh, you know that's part of what being, uh, uh, you know, working for a newspaper is all about. And you were in Cooperstown and you just gave us a little t tidbit there. But tell, tell us what the Cooperstown experience of induction weekend was like when you were there. In the, it was in the 80s, right? When you were yes. there. And, yes. Uh, what, you know, it's kind of become a big thing now. It's on ESPN and all the other things or MLB Network. And uh, what was that experience like and, and the interaction that you had back then with, uh, you know, some of the biggest names in the history of the game? Well, I, I, I'm very fortunate. Um, I'm a listener. Like you said, I take notes. I listen real close. I don't ask a typical question. How do you feel? That's a typical question today. Right. Uh, I, for example, Bob Feller, when he was there at the press conference, people were asking him about what's it like to have a white wife. And it was terrible. And I was different. And I would get their trust by asking about his pitching style and how he always beat up on the Red Sox. <laughs> I knew the game, so I could talk about the game. I didn't say, how did you feel, you know, whatever. And, but from 79 to 1983, which was, I know was a long time for most people, and most people weren't born. I like to tell people in Cooperstown, I'm 150 years old, and some of them <laughs> believe me. And, uh, uh, but I had Hank, Hank Aaron and Ted Williams, and I had all of them real close to me. I asked a lot of good questions. Um, you know, Al Kaline comes to mind. He was, he, he and Bill Freehand and Mick and Lolich and all the guys, they were sitting next to me and I had my parents with me at the time. My mother's deceased, but she, she doesn't know anything about, she didn't know anything about baseball. And she said, uh, she, she turned to the man to the left of her on the table 
and it was freehand and it was alkaline. And she said, can I have the salt and pepper, please? And they passed <laughs> it over real polite. Yes, ma'am. Here, here's the salt. Here's the pepper. And my father came back from the buffet line. This was the Otisaga Hotel, which is a very nice place today. And he came back and said, I had a great conversation with a man at the buffet table. Who is that man up there? And he pointed up there and it was a short man and it was Warren Spawn. Wow. It was fantastic. Yeah. That, 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 you know, those, uh, that, that, and you get to meet those guys and I've had many buffets. I've been very lucky up at the, through the years at the Otisaga. There's nothing better than the breakfast buffet at the Otisaga hotel overlooking the lake. Oh yeah. You got the golf course there. You're sitting on the, let me, let me paint this picture for the listeners. You're sitting on this wonderful veranda type, type, uh, you know, big, big, huge porch, you know, and, and, like you look to your left, and maybe there's, like you say, Brooks Robinson, Joe Torrey, you know, one guy after another, superstars, uh, and and you know, back before they passed, Bob Gibson, Hank Aaron, uh, things like that, and and it was just, it was just, uh, it was just a wonderful experience, and, and you having that access was was able to bring to life these guys, and they loved. You know, the, the thing they love is what I, you know, Cal Ripken, you know, going in his batting stand, showing me something on the back porch. They love, they yeah. really love to talk baseball. So I got to think in some ways, did that uh, experience influence your desire to become an umpire or did that just come out of the blue? Well, no, it doesn't, not out of the blue. It goes back to the 60s because I played at a very high level baseball and I played basketball and football too. But it, it came down to, you know, my father was, was my coach. And he was pretty rigid. He was, everybody loves him in town and everywhere. He's still 92. He's still alive in Florida. But he was real tough on me. And I, I pitched a no-hitter to win the championship. But the conversation at the dinner table for three days was you didn't get any hits. And it, we would have won by more than two to nothing if you, you were a better hitter. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you had, uh, you know, Jimmy Pierce's father there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So baseball has been in my blood for all my life. And I've I've always been, I'm, I'm an inquisitive person. I've been trained that way in college at St. Michael's College in Vermont. And I was brought up that way. Uh, and I asked the questions that are tough. And, and it rankles a lot of people. And uh, uh, it's still to this day it does. And I, I just stand firm on principle and I ask the tough questions and I get on with it. I want to jump over to... Uh to Ohio, let people know, and I'm, I'm there's no, I'm not doing any kind of editorial here. Just let people know what you get, what you guys get paid in Ohio for doing a high school game where sometimes you got to travel a number of miles and uh, often have to travel a number of miles. And you know how uh, the weather can be tough early in the year there. Just give us a little background what, what the pay scale is like in the, in the state of Ohio for umpires who are dealing with your children uh, out there and trying to do the best that they can do. Well, you're, you're touching on a real sensitive topic because it's got to change. Um, the national average is $90 now for an umpire, but in Ohio until March 17th, it was $55 and no travel money, which is, wow. pathet- which is pathetic. You know, it's, you can make more money at Kentucky fried chicken as a 16 year old. And it, it just doesn't go, doesn't even reflect anything about the training, the equipment, the knowledge, the passion, uh, and, and those like me, we don't do it for the money, but it's a matter of principle. And, but that was a huge issue because nobody wanted to talk about it. The athletic directors, they, they determined the pay. Nobody wanted to talk in person. And it was stuck until March, middle of March, 
and then it went to $68. So we're still below the national average of 90, but it's, it's, a, it's an issue. We don't have any representation. See, I, I, my crystal ball says this. We're going to have a union soon. I don't know how it's going to come. I don't know how it's going to come to Ohio. But all across the nation, there's going to be a uniform code of strike zone, pay, and dress, and how you act. But right now, it's every state, every region is different. Yeah, and, and let me point out that these schools, you're talking about schools that are built like the Taj Mahal. They have they have money, right? Oh, we, absolutely. We had our, our meetings in Upper Arlington, which is a, a, high, a school right north of Ohio State, and it's a palace. It costs $35 million, and it's you think it's a, a college. It's like a college campus. But, you know, getting, getting $10 more for the umpires was out of the question. Mike, with $68 a game, I think our whole audience can understand budget. We know how much money they're paying for tournaments and whatnot. Right. But talk about your expenses that you have as an umpire. People forget about that, um, that, that go into – justifying, you know, $68 uh, or the, I should say the increase of the $68. Tell us about, tell the audience about your expenses that go along with them. I know it's terrible. Zanesville, Ohio is about 62 miles one way. So it's 120 plus. And I went to do a varsity game there last year and I got no pay for that. Nothing. And it's like, we're, we're slaves. It's like slave labor. That's what it comes down to. Uh, last week, uh, a few weeks ago, four, four weeks ago, I had a guy who wanted me to do a men's league here in Columbus. And he, he, the day before the schedule, he called me and he said, that game is off because we have a game over here we want you to do, which is 35 miles from my house. you got to do that one. And then you got to come back over and do another game uh, in Reynoldsburg. And that's another 30 miles. Out. So it was a lot of driving and th- there wasn't any increase in pay. And, and it, it was unusual circumstances but he wasn't going to increase the pay. You know, so what about the equipment too? It's the equipment that you have to purchase. I know that's. Oh, I bought a, a new Force Three mask. It's a very nice mask. I paid two hundred dollars for that. Uh, I bought. I bought a new chest protector. It was one hundred and sixty dollars. It, it. I have a probably about fifteen hundred dollars in total equipment on on me when I umpire behind the plate. You know. I'm going to jump in here. Do I? You just made me think of something. I would love to see the MLB. And, and you know, I know we have some MLB umpires that, that, that listen to the show and stuff. I would love to see the MLB umpires get behind the youth umpires in some capacity, whether it's just uh, letting people know what it's all about and things like that. Because, you know, Phil Cuzzy's a friend of mine. And, and what Phil went, you know, what he went through to become an umpire, he, he'd be a wonderful guest to have one day. Uh, so so you guys are, are brothers in arms. And, and I think... Uh, I think we need to get. That's why we're doing this show, people. We're getting the. We want to let you know that the umpire is a human being and what he has to go through uh, to, to 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 do his job. So, you know, he, he even if he misses a pitch. I mean, one of my favorite comments of all time was when, you know, umpires would just basically say, "What you never made an error to a player." You know, you see mistakes all the time. I mean, I I watch base running now in the major leagues. It's a clown show. So. You may miss a pitch and people go crazy, and 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 I think the broadcasters too can. Uh, they try to defend the umpires, but I think they can even do a better job because uh, that box. I want to get back to the box. Uh, what do the umpires say? What, what's the real dirt on that box and what umpires say when they watch a game? Well, it's a real joke. We think it's a joke. I I, I use that in my repertoire when I talk to people. 
I said, well, it wasn't in the box. Of course, there isn't any box. I didn't see it. <laughs> you know, so it, you touch on a lot of good things, Kevin. The, you know, the whole perspective, there's no unity in umpiring. You know, there, there's the, the, the professional umpires, there's college umpires, there's high school umpires, there's tournament umpires, and there's no mechanism to, to keep us together. And, and, and in between that, there's a lot of umpires who are older. It, it was ev- very evident in Cooperstown when umpires come from all over the country. There's some, I say some, and I want to emphasize that, there are some who, who will not help younger umpires. And there are others like me who will do anything to help younger umpires. And you wonder why we're having an umpire shortage in the country. Guess what? In our association in Columbus, there are three black umpires and there are two women and there are 300 white men. Okay. Now that's, I'm not editorializing here, but that's just a statement. Oh no, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's no, there's no reaching out to people. And this notion that they're going to reach into the high schools and train people is, is only part of the story. And they just, they have to open up the ranks and allow everybody of every color and particularly women, women are excellent umpires and they have to let them in and have to encourage them. And I think also some of it falls on them. They, you got to move forward and, and see that opportunity and jump in there. Let's go. You know, there's a lot of opportunity for people to umpire. And again, it's not, you're not going to get rich, but you know, if you, if you, you know, if you want to drive an Uber, if you want to, or if you want to, you know, jump in and, and umpire games, why not? And please, you know, I know they do the RBI program, which I think is a, a little bit of eyewash, but I think it also is a good thing. I think yeah. it could be better. That's my point. But they should do that. MLB should do a, a reach out program, like you say, for women and uh, and not necessarily at the MLB level. I'm just talking about at, at the high, you know, let get more people involved in umpiring. That's why I'm thrilled when I see, you know, I was at my, uh, my grandson's games uh, this uh, summer in Little League. And that little league, the one 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 good Pequannock little league in New Jersey. One of the good things they do is they they have young people umpire everything up to major leagues, basically. And and so they're bringing young people in. And I I know my grandson did it and, and worked very hard. And, and he, I think he was you know he he made some good money for a kid. And do you see that? Are you seeing young kids uh, being uh, uh, you know, getting a little bit more of a chance or how would that, how would the umpiring, uh, how would that happen? How, how do we get more people involved in umpiring? Yeah, it, it's uh, Kevin, it's a real small number. We had two or three really great umpires who were like 22, 23 years old in Cooperstown. The average age was, was about 68. And some of those guys are crotchety and big bellies and they shouldn't be <laughs> umpiring. Uh, but you know, other guys, there's, a, there's several guys like me who tried to do everything they could to help them. Uh, one guy who was 22, I worked with him in one game, and he nobody had ever told him that when, when he, he, a guy hits a ground ball to the shortstop and he's an A, which is a, a, a down the line by first base, you have to swing around and get in position so you get the right angle. Nobody ever told him that, so he just stood there and ma- tried to make the call. And wow. You know, I, yeah. I thought about that. You know, do I talk to him? Do I coach him? Do I try to counsel him? And I did. And I did. I tried to do it in a really nice way. Yeah, that's that. Uh, well, that and that's the way to do it. And I was taught uh, before I let Dave get back into this. But one last thing here. I remember years ago, it, it was goes back to my outfield training days. You know, I played first base in outfield. 
But you never want your head to bounce when you're in the outfield, you know, then the ball bounces, obviously. Right. So you got to keep your head still. So one of the things I was told that umpires should do, and I still see them make this mistake. You're, you know, you can see them running and making a call. You got to get yourself in position, right? Tell us about how do you get in position? Um, and, and and really, the other thing I want to touch on is also some of the injuries that umpires get. It's not an easy job. Oh, no, no, no. I, I've been fortunate. I, I've been hit in the head. I got concussions last summer. But other than that, I haven't had any concussions this year. The new mask is making a big difference. But it comes down to physical fitness. I, I just weighed myself after two weeks in Cooperstown, and I, I lost 10 pounds. I weigh 188. I haven't weighed that less since I was playing college basketball. So it, it's, it's grueling. It's, it, you, know, you do three games a day, and it's 95 degrees. It's really, really hot. And, but you have to get yourself in position and be mentally prepared. You have to know the game. And, for example, um, now I'm not bragging. I'm, I'm just pointing something out. I'm, I'm watching. I'm standing between the pitcher and the first baseman a, cu- a couple weeks ago. And he's a fast runner. They throw over about four times. It's really close. He's mm-hmm. safe each time. But then the last throw tips off the first baseman's glove and dribbles away. And, and the guy at first base breaks at the same time I do heading for second base and I beat him to second base and I call him safe. So I'm saying most umpires can't do that. They can't run. They can't move. So you've got to be in really good shape to be a good umpire. Mike, you seem very open to not just giving good advice, but also learning. What's some of the best advice you've gotten, you know, as you've, even as you've advanced in your career as an umpire. um, I know you spend a lot of time collectively with the umpires in Cooperstown. Uh, with yes. the camaraderie you mentioned. Give me some good advice you've been given um, on the other end of that umpire conversation. Well, that's a great point. You learn something new every day. It's, for example, I had a game last week. It was an, in the semifinals of the tournament. The tournaments are very competitive. I, uh, I was at the plate, and it, they hit a ground ball. It went through the shortstop. Uh, it went out to left field. It went through the left fielder, and – the, the runner came from second, and he slid into third, and the third baseman repeatedly, four times, tagged him. Tried, he did not have the ball, but he tagged him. Well, guess what? And in my, in my world in Ohio, that's an illegal move. You can't fake a tag, and you should award the runner home plate. Mm. Well, guess what? They're playing major league rules. You can fake tag all you want. And... I didn't know that. I had no idea. So somebody told me that, and I looked it up in the book, and sure enough, and I apologized, and whatever. <laughs> so apolog- apologizing for misdeeds are good things to do. That's a great point, and I love hearing that. And the uh, also, I want people to understand too that you don't, you know, you go to Cooperstown, you're based in Ohio, but you you umpired in Florida as well. Give us a little lowdown on what that experience was like. Well, I'm wearing an MBUA hat from Florida because I'm going to move to Florida. It's great down there. You can play baseball all year round. And uh, I was I was down to um, your neck of the woods, Kevin. I, I went to um, Faro Beach to the Dodger Town, which is now called Jackie Robinson Complex. And I did three games a day. It was 100 degrees. It was very competitive. And they say that about Florida baseball players. They're, they're the best because they can play so much. And I had a two to nothing game. I was at the plate. Uh, the pitchers were spotting the uh, corners. They're 18 years old, 18 and under. 
and they were hitting 92 miles an hour and it was fantastic. Well, that's a great experience. And the, um, and, and, and what kind of pay do you get for something like that? If you don't mind me asking. <laughs> oh, you're hitting that one again. Okay. <laughs> uh, guess what? It was only $65 a game. Hey, it's cheaper in Florida, though. Life's a little cheaper here. You know? <laughs> sure it is. You <laughs> take taxes out of that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So we, I didn't mind. It, it was saying, I was staying at the park, and, you know, it, it was a wonderful experience down there. Yeah, the, uh, and the other thing I want to mention, too, is, um, you know, you talked a little bit about your family, and, and y- your brother was a firefighter. Just give us, uh, you, know, what, you know, what happened to him and his story, because, uh, again, we want people to understand – and when we have our guests on, we, we, you know, they're, they have lives and we want, you know, we want you to understand where they're coming from as well. And this, this is very important. So talk about your brother. Yeah. Very close family, close connections in Bellas Falls, Vermont. It was, you know, 3,500 people and everybody knew each other. Nobody had was unemployed. It was fantastic in the sixties and seventies growing up there. But in 1981, my brother, Terry was a volunteer firefighter. And they didn't have a fire chief at the time. And the alarms rang and he was on the phone. Terry was, my brother Terry was on the phone with Gary Harrington, who's a dear friend of mine, who's also an umpire, by the way. And uh, the phone rang, the, the alarm rang, and he was one of the first people at the fire site. And it was a big block fire right in our hometown. And there were people upstairs and they said, Terry, go upstairs and get the people. And he never got out. Wow. He had, he had faulty Scott air packs. Wow. He he succumbed to smoke and he he was dead. And how have they honored him? Well, it took a long time, but last October they had a 40th anniversary of the fire and they built a park uh, around them, them. And it was very nice. And a lot of people came. It was about 400 people, which for Vermont, that's a big crowd. And it was very, very nice. And I was glad to see it. No, that, that's great. I think it goes back to what Kevin mentioned, especially in the umpire profession. We forget that people are human out there. And, you know, we, we had talked off the air again about how you deal with the, I guess, the harassment, the taunts that parents come to the ballpark with coaches. Talk to our parent audience now who are intelligent people, listen to the show, they contribute to the show. Um, why do you think that that attitude, that approach has become so prevalent right now in, in sports where the umpire is fair game to just attack? Well, you're hitting a delicate topic for me because I, I, I've been involved and worked in politics and a lot of it is political. And, and I, I went to the team that sponsored me was Las Vegas and I went and sat in their dugout with the parents. And it was incredible what you hear. They're, they're, by and large, they're very good people. They spend a lot of money to be there, but that's what it is. It's money. People have money on the table and they feel like the umpire in some way is preventing their kid from getting a college scholarship or preventing the team from winning. And they, they don't understand because they don't know who the umpires are. And you can imagine me, I was very talkative to some degree and I, to- I let them know who I was, you know, that I was a good umpire, that I cared about the kids and the coaches and the fans. And, and uh, it was a different perspective that they had never heard. And that's what we got to do. We, umpires don't tell our story. We don't tell, uh, for example, we, got, we had strict orders there 
to immediately exit the field as soon as the game was over. Now think about that. You don't, you know, the winning team or the losing team, you don't have any chance to even shake hands. You know, and that's, that sends the wrong message, I think. And I, I, I'm in the minority on that, but I, I, I think that's wrong. Was it a time uh, thing or a safety thing? Oh, oh no, it's, they, they try to say that umpires, it's for your safety and you go, out of, you go out of the stadium and you get on a golf cart and they whisk you away right away. Yeah, that's, uh, I've seen that done. Even at college level, I've noticed that they, they're trying to get the umpires. I think that's a great point. And if, yeah. if, you, if you're in the minority, I'm joining you there. Yeah. I think the people who run run these things should make it clear the umpire is a person first and then they're an umpire. So, you know, and they're not perfect and things will happen and your kid is not going to get, and Dave talks about this all the time and Dave has much more experience in this than I do. But, uh, you know, this tournament, you know, is not going to, you know, your son's not starting for Notre Dame tomorrow or, uh, yeah. you know, something like that or getting drafted by the Yankees and my friend Damon Oppenheimer, who's a Yankee scouting director. So I, I offer a thing up usually uh, my AMBS pro tip of the day. And with umpires, uh, this is what I, you know, what I used to do. I used to carry on conversations. I encourage kids to carry on conversations with umpires when they're playing because, uh, you know, you have a little fun with them. And then even if they if they miss a call or you you mess something up, you know, you realize who you are. So do you have do you have any of those type conversations with uh, kids, uh, whether it's high school or, or younger? Absolutely. I have I have a, a practice and a policy. Each player that comes to bat when I'm at the plate, I say hello to him. Hi, number 12. Hi, number two. How are you doing today? I say something to them that's pleasant, short, but it's pleasant. It isn't a conversation. It's pleasant because they want to come up and hit, and I don't want to ruin that con- con- that concentration. But I say, how are you doing, number two? I do that every time, the first time they come through. And the pitcher, I, I bring out a new ball to the pitcher when he starts. I said, this ball is only thrown for strikes, and, and they and they get it. Uh, and then when I'm on the bases, when a kid hits a home run and I have to follow him around and make sure they touch bases, I say, nice hit, nice home run. I, I, I look him in the eye and I say, nice hit. And, and a kid, kid gets a double and he's on second base. I find a time. I say, nice hit. I say you it personalize softly. it. Yeah, you personalize it. That's right. And no, very few other people do that. Yeah, that's a great tip. I think all umpires and, and uh, you know, hopefully we get them listening to this as well. And, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt to show that, uh, you know, <laughs> you're out there too. And you're, you know, you're doing your job. They're doing your job, their job. Let's have some. And here's the other thing I want to say. Do, do people forget, do people forget that baseball is supposed to be fun? Yes, that's right. That's right. It is fun. It's a great game. It's the greatest game there is. And it's, uh, if you can't enjoy it, why are you, why are you umpiring? Why are you coaching it? Why are you playing it? Great point. You hit on my point too. I kept thinking the same thing. Like it's, and I, Rob Dibble, I believe, made that point about his youth team that it's got to be fun. There has to be enthusiasm with it. Um, I've, I've got a question for you. It's going to take you back in time, though, Mike. And I don't know if you remember sharing this story with me, but now my son's a catcher. He's 12 years old or 13 years old, I should say now. And uh, we went in his catcher's bag the other day as we're transitioning, and there was 24 bright white baseballs in there. And I was like, where did you get these? And he said, you told me always to communicate with the umpire during the games and, you know, block those balls like you know what. And he got after each, the last few, I guess the last 24 games he caught, the umpire gave him a ball after, one for the conversation and two for blocking like crazy and not, not letting the umpire get nicked up back there. 
Um, that's right. But you've got that's a, good. You've got a special story. I think your 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 career goes back to you know your playing career at St. Michael's. Uh, talked about your umpiring philosophies, but your baseball career goes back to being a bat boy, way back when. Um, can you share the story with our audience about that that and that special catcher that you met uh, back in Bell's Fall, Vermont? Oh, absolutely. I, I enjoy telling you that, David. I, it's it's a good story. It was in the mid-60s, and I was a bat boy for our American Legion baseball team, and they had a big guy, the biggest guy I've ever seen. He was 6'4", but to me, I was 5'8". You know, he was a huge guy. And it was Carlton Fisk, the Hall of Famer. And he, he was born in Bellas Falls, Vermont, and he, he uh, was a great athlete. He was more known for basketball, believe it or not, than he was baseball. He scored 40 points and had 42 rebounds in a game, a single game. And that's pretty hard to do in one game. But he was a great guy, and uh, he was one of the first guys as a reporter that I covered. He came back to speak at the Elks Club, and, um, I, again, I asked him good questions, and, and he and I were always friends. He had a little issue playing under the lights, correct? Well, he did. He barely, he barely, you know, it's amazing that he made it to the major leagues because he was from the boondocks of Vermont, right? And he never played under the lights. And it was a huge adjustment when he went into the minor leagues because he couldn't see, he couldn't see the ball. And I can, I think about that every game when I'm at the plate, when I have a night game, I can't read my indicator because it's dark and I can't see it. And I think about Pudgy Fisk. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. And again, that's and it's the lineage of what you're carrying on. Um, uh, you know, it's not just Mike Brown umpiring a game here in 20, you know 2022. It's it's the whole history of it, the people you've met, and all those things. And if pe- and if people get take the time to listen, they they will find that out. That's why, again, I encourage people who are in charge of umpires to let the umpires shake hands, talk to talk to the opposing teams. You're going to occasionally run, you know, umpires also, the other thing I, I think is very important, they understand when the situation's volatile. So, you know what? Maybe that game they don't shake hands, you know, because if you see you got a crazy manager across the way or a crazy coach, you know, you just get the heck out of there. But yeah. for the most part, I think it's very important, especially when we're trying to teach our youngsters, you know, uh, our young people and softball as well. I don't know if you do softball, but, um, you know, for, 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 boys and girls see that the umpire is, is, is a regular person. And that leads me to my final question um, here. I know you wrote about it, but just give the uh, listener what the experience is like, because uh, you touched on it, but you know, you guys are, you, when you're in Cooperstown or maybe some other tournaments, you guys, you know, you live on site. You're kind of like, uh, you know, back in the, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you're bivouacking there or whatever. So, What's it like being in Cooperstown and spending that time at the Empire's bunkhouse? And do you guys get out? Do you, you know, what, what's that experience? Well, I have a bad back from saying in Cooperstown. The mattresses are really thin. It was on July 4th, this, this week, it was 43 degrees in the morning. So the guys from Florida, my buddies, they didn't bring sleeping bags and they were freezing. They had towels thrown over them and, you know, people don't realize that with the umpires, this, this is not, you know, first class treatment. They we're not staying at the Otisaga Hotel, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we have twelve people jammed in a cabin, and 
it's it's beautiful. Everybody, you're forced to to get along. There's some guys, it's obnoxious, and they're at six o'clock in the morning and they're talking, and I don't want to hear anybody talking at six o'clock in the morning. And but it, it, that's what makes it a special occasion. You you, you it's grim uh, conditions, but everybody's in it together. That's fantastic. Yeah, Mike, that was great. Those were great stories. I hope our audience appreciates not just you, but umpires in general now. And hopefully this this episode has caused them to have a little paradigm shift in how they approach, whether it's youth baseball, college baseball, and really understand that that one game is not going to make or break their child's baseball career. Less than 1% actually get to play at the college level. And that uh, no umpire in any way, shape, or form woke up in the morning and said, you know, for $68 today, I'm going to ruin little Johnny's career. So that's, um, that's right. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's silly, but Mike, we appreciate it. Our audience, please uh, take a look at Mike's book, Umpire's Bunkhouse. Be great summer read. Uh, as Kevin said, it's great uh, beach, a uh, beach read for you. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us. And of course, Kevin, thanks for uh, the way you approach the show and your great questions to our guests. It really brings out the best in them, shows the, the background uh, that, that you put in as well for 47 years uh, at the highest levels of writing. Please, please check out Kevin's articles on ball9.com. You can follow him on at AMBS underscore Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer. Uh, you can follow our podcast, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Please listen, follow, like us, subscribe. Uh, we're really doing well. We're reaching the audiences we want to. We want to continue to help this game grow and change it back to the way we want to, want to see it. Guys, thanks so much here. Thank you. Thanks, Dave.